about y'all, but I want to thank the Lord for the good worship, the great time of communion with the Lord. You know, the Bible says in the book of Revelations that when we all get there, we're going to sing a song. It's going to kind of be like that. It's going to be a new song, though, but it says we're all going to sing glory to the Lord Jesus, to the Lamb that was slain, because by His blood He has redeemed us to our God. Without the blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. A lot of people seem to want to sometimes remove the old rugged cross and forget about the terrible price that Christ had to pay for us, but without the blood, without the cross, there is no hope of glory. Amen? But we thank God for the cross this morning. What a beautiful song. What a great message. If we come this morning, I want us to turn this morning with me to the book of Luke, chapter 5. Boy, if we ever lived in a time where a lot of people that I run around with and see and who I run needs a miracle in their life, we are in that time. Amen? How many of you has lately thought, Lord, I, I really need you to do something that only you can do? And if we've ever been in a time when many folks are in need of a miracle, I want us to look here this morning at a miracle that God performed for Peter. It comes, we a lot of times look at this and focus on the call of Peter to be a fisher of men. But I want us to look at this as if you were a fisherman. You were trying to provide for your family and make a living. And you fished all night. You had just met Jesus recently. You'd been hearing about him. He's new on the scene. He's this great prophet. Everyone's going out to hear. He's the popular church to go to. And Jesus comes up. And here you are having fished all night. Toil, he says. You're cleaning your nets. And Jesus comes up. First thing he says, though, is, hey, Peter, can I borrow your boat? <laughs> you know, I, I kind of was thinking, Peter probably was thinking, don't you see, Jesus, I'm trying to work here. I'm trying to finish up. We've worked all night. But Jesus, you know, he asked him, let me use your boat. You know, if you want a miracle, I want to ask you this morning, are you letting God use you for what you do have? Because a lot of times I see, and I'm going to show you today, that the people that are receiving miracles, they're asking God to do something they don't have, something they can't do. But if we give him what we do have and do what we can do, a lot of times we'd see God do a lot more in our lives. And you know, I want us to look here as we look and read this story together. You've heard it many times, but I want to look at it from a different point of view this morning. And the Bible says that one day Jesus showed up on the seashore where Peter probably spent every day of his life except Sabbath, the way of worship, fishing to make a living. And so, so it was, as the multitude pressed about Jesus to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Genesaret, that's just another name for the lake of Galilee, the Sea of Galilee, and he saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon Peter's, and he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and he taught the multitudes from the boat. And when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon Peter answered and said to him, Master, we've toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. In fact, it was a miraculous catch. So they had to signal, it says, to their partners, which we know from the context of this that you're going to see down here in another verse, was John and James. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat, that's who the other boat belonged to, who were also there washing their nets, to come and help them, and they came, and they filled both of the boats so that they were about to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down. And this is where we get a lot of times we focus on this part, but I, I want us to look at this differently this morning. But when, Piper, when Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. He realized that only God could have done what he just seen. Having fished his own life, he had never seen anything like this. In fact, all three of them were astonished, it says in the next verse, by this miraculous catch. It was the catch of their lifetime. They'd never seen or even thought. They would have never even thought to ask Jesus to do something like this. 
It was beyond their ability to even imagine that Christ could do this. But it goes on and it says, For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also was James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were the partners with Simon Peter. And Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all, they left all, it says, and they followed Jesus. Father, we pray for your blessings over your word. And Lord, we thank you for the availability of miracles, that you can do things that are not normal, that are not common, that are, goes against logic, that you can do things, Lord, that don't even make sense. And Lord, today we are in need of you to do things that are beyond and above our ability to do, just as Peter having fished all night, toiled, didn't catch anything. But Lord, when you told him to shove out, to throw your nets into the deep, they made a catch, a catch, not just any catch, but the catch of a lifetime, a miracle occurred. Lord, help us today to see things in this scripture that will help us in Jesus' name, amen. The incident recorded here is obviously not the first time when you look at the Gospels that Jesus had been in contact with these men. As a matter of fact, if you look over in the chapter before that, in verse chapter 4, Jesus had been to Peter's house. He had taught not long ago in their synagogue, and it says in verse 37, and the report about Jesus had went out into every place in the surrounding region. Had you seen that? So they had been hearing about Jesus. Jesus had become popular now he arose from the synagogue and he entered Simon's house and he had done something. Simon's mother-in-law, it says right there in that verse, was sick with a fever and apparently they hadn't been able to get her well and it was to the point that she wasn't even able to do things, serve. It says, but Simon's wife's mother was sick with a high fever and they made her a quest of him concerning her. And I want you to notice, they requested this healing. And most miracles that I hear people asking for, we think we're going to get them by asking Jesus to do something that don't make sense. That doesn't even, that defies logic and reason. That's how you think you get a miracle. That's how you get them sometimes. But I want to show you, God showed me something this week. A lot of times you don't get a miracle by asking Jesus to do something that don't make sense. A lot of times you get a miracle like Peter by you doing something that don't make sense. Because Peter asked, and it says, so Jesus, he stood over her, he rebuked the fever, and it left her. I want you to think, Jesus said, okay, he stood over, and I don't know how he did it, but Jesus apparently prayed over, he rebuked the fever, and she was healed. She got up and started feeding them, serving them. She got out of the bed and got in the kitchen. That woman got healed, amen? And I bet Peter said, praise God, my in law cooked me some biscuits. But guys, on this next miracle, I want you to notice something. Peter is trying to make a living. He's trying to take care of his family. At this point, John and James are still full-time fishermen. They were partners together in the fishing business. They had probably been fishing their entire life. In fact, as far as fishing goes, fishing was their life. But on this day... They are about to experience the catch of a lifetime. They've never caught fish like this in their whole life. And it wasn't going to come in a way that they would have expected, that they would have thought. It was going to come in a way that no one would ever even thought to ask for, much less expect to be able to happen. You see, I want you to think about this with me for a little while. Many times miracles come from great problems. In fact, most of the times you see the miracles that we see in the Bible come after struggle. They come after difficulty. And Peter, I want you to think about it, had failed. How many of you has ever been a place in your life where you've failed? You've done everything you know to do. You've tried as hard as you can. You've toiled to the point of exhaustion. And then you finally say, Lord, you've got to do something. And he did what you wasn't able to do. Because you finally quit trying to do it yourself 
and had to become dependent on him. But I want you to think about this. This day, Peter wasn't looking for Jesus to give him a miraculous catch so that he could feed his family, for his business could continue. Peter was cleaning the nets. You know why Peter was there cleaning the nets? Because I guarantee he was going to go home, get some rest. He was going to go home that night, and he was going to do it again, just like you do every day. You get up, you go to work, you go through your daily routine to what? To survive and make a living for your family, for yourself. So this miracle just came out of nowhere on an everyday, but not just everyday. It wasn't on a good day. It wasn't when everything was going good. It was when everything was going bad. They fished all night. They toiled and they ain't caught a thing. And Jesus shows up. And the nerve of Jesus, here they are. Jesus wasn't a fisherman, but enough people knew about fishermen and knew what they were doing. Here it is. He's looking. He's probably saying, here they are washing their nets. They're busy. They got to go back and fish again tonight. They've been fishing all night. But what did he say? Hey, can I borrow your boat? (laughs) You know, Peter could have been like a lot of people I know in the church. Could have said, Jesus, that's so inconsiderate and thoughtless of you. I cannot believe you're asking me to. Don't you see? I fished all night and I ain't caught nothing. I'm in economic trouble here. And you want to use my boat? I'm trying to get my neck clean where I can go home and get some rest so I can come back tonight and hope to catch something. I got to go and tell my wife I ain't caught nothing. And I ain't made no money. And Jesus says, Peter, I want to use your boat. But you know what Peter did? Okay, Jesus. And he quit doing what he would have needed to do to do what he thought would have had to happen to take care of Peter. And he went and done what Jesus asked him to do. And friends, he gets in the boat and he preaches. And I'm sure Peter was probably thinking, all right, Jesus, please don't preach all day. (laughs) And when he gets through preaching, Peter's probably thinking, all right, now I can get Jesus out here, get my boat clean. John and James over there, they done quit cleaning their nets. They've been listening to Jesus. Now we're behind. And then all of a sudden, Jesus tells Peter, a professional fisherman who knew more about fishermen than Jesus, believe it or not, because Jesus was in his human limited form. He was a carpenter's son. He might have been the greatest preacher, the son of God who ever stood at face of But Peter was a fisherman who had fished his whole life. And he tells Peter something. And guys, when God gives you a direction that's going to bless your life, he's not going to make it hard to understand. He doesn't want to confuse you. People always wonder, I wonder if God would tell me what to do. When God tells you what to do, you don't have to wonder. You'll know. He told Peter exactly what he wanted him to do. I want you to take note. Peter never thought, Jesus, would you catch me some fish so I can have fish so my company can prosper and I can go home and have money for my family? He didn't even ask Jesus this. But he did say, okay, Lord, I'll let you use my boat. But then Jesus tells him something. I want you to catch this because it's going to help you about learning how to get miracles sometimes in your life. How many of you is looking for the catch of life for yourself? I want you to think about this. He says to Simon Peter, and I want you to look at it with me in verse 4. When he had stopped speaking, he says to Simon, he didn't say, bring me back to shore and go about your business. He said, launch out into the deep, Peter, and go let down your nets for a catch. Peter looks at him and he says to him, Master, we've toiled all night and we ain't caught nothing. Peter would have knew that you fish for fish at night on the Sea of Galilee. You don't catch them in the daytime. And when you fish at night, they come up into the shallow where your nets will work. They were built to work in the shallow water. And the fish would come up at night, and that's when they would fish. You didn't catch fish out in the deep, and you sure didn't catch them in the daytime. Anybody who's fished on the Sea of Galilee knew this. If you go study this, this is the truth. To this day, that's how they do it. Peter didn't go out there because he thought he was going to catch a fish. If you notice, he says, but Lord, at your bidding, at your word, I'll do what you said. And Peter went out there. I wonder if Peter really thought they was going to catch some fish, Jonathan. He's probably thinking, this Jesus, now I'm going to have to clean my nets all over again. And John and James, now it's back to cleaning their nets. They're going to be home sleeping. I'm going to still be down here fooling with Jesus. But he goes out there. And he does what Jesus told him to do. And a miracle of miracles, the catch of his life, a catch that he had never even thought could happen, much less happen, happened. 
He got so many fish, his net began to rip and tear. He got so many fish, he had to tell John, John and James, come out here and bring your boat. When they got out there, they were all astonished. They were amazed at the miraculous miracle catch that Jesus had provided. Now, the question today is, Jesus don't always do this at your convenience. As a matter of fact, this was at Peter's inconvenience. How many of you don't want to be inconvenienced, Mr. American? How many of you don't want to have to do anything for God that would make you think he may be inconsiderate of your life? But sometimes when you're willing to put God first, God will do something in your life. And that's what Peter did. And friends, God was about to blow Peter's mind. I want to ask you something today. How many of us would love to experience the same thing that Peter got to experience? How many of you would love to see a miraculous catch in your life? As a matter of fact, who among us would not like for God to fill the empty nets of our life with his great bountiful miracles that only he can put in there? I don't know about you, sometimes my heart's empty, amen? Like them nets. Sometimes I feel like a failure, like I've toiled for nothing and I ain't getting nothing back for it. You ever been there? Sometimes I feel like, Lord, don't you understand? I've worked, I've toiled, I've done everything I know as the things I've been trained to do and I don't seem to be producing any fruit. I haven't had a catch. And know what? When you are at your worst, when you feel like you've been in the biggest failure of your life, that might be when you're about to see the biggest miracle of your life. Because that's a lot of times when God steps up. Amen? Never forget, Peter was on the heart of Jesus. Jesus loved Peter. He knew Peter loved fishing. He knew Peter was dependent on fishing. So he gave Peter what he loved and what he needed. He gave him a whole boat full of fish. I want you to think about this. Does anybody here this morning need a miracle? Does anybody here need Jesus to do the impossible? Lord, I need a miracle. Lord, we want you to do something that's abnormal, that's unlogical, that makes no sense to common world sense. See, that's what a miracle is. A miracle is God doing something that no one can explain, that no one could have even thought up to do. It's so far out of our ability to believe it could happen. You see, we tend to believe that miracles occur, though, by us asking Jesus to do what makes no sense. But may I tell you, God showed me something this week in this text that I've never seen that is all throughout the Bible. It ain't a one-verse example. See, we ask Jesus all the time to do what doesn't make any sense. But what if our miracle today, our catch of a lifetime, was dependent on us doing something for Jesus that didn't make any sense. That would make you look bad to all the other fishermen. Can you imagine what John and James was probably thinking? I know it's Jesus, Peter, but goodness, we got work to do. We got to get back out here tonight and fish. You need to go over and clean your nets. You're not helping our business. But Peter said, I, Peter said Lord, it's your bidding. I don't care what all this multitude thinks. They were all watching. <laughs> Peter threw his net out. They all knew, I don't never see nobody fishing right here in the middle of the day. I never see anybody fishing. I surely ain't seen any of them who do fish catching anything. But old Peter didn't do what he thought as a fisherman. He did what Jesus said to do. Contrary to what looked like made sense. Contrary to what everybody else would have thought would have been the thing to do. If Jesus is telling you to do something, it don't matter if everybody else thinks it's foolish, you better do it. If Jesus comes up with something that you would have never thought of, praise God, it's God. Because most of the time when we think of it, it ain't even close to God. Because God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. They are so higher than us. We can't even imagine to think what our God can do. He is able to do above and beyond what we're even able to think to ask. According to Paul, and we limit our God. And friends, this is not just this one spot in the Bible. You see, Peter, old Peter, we make fun of old Peter, but old Peter was a man who believed in his Jesus. 
We say, well, Peter, you know, he denied him three times. Yeah. Peter went and done something most fishermen wouldn't have done. And he's seen a miraculous catch, the catch of a lifetime. Peter got in the boat with him one time. He got in it with him. And they went out, and they was in the middle of a storm that they all cried out. Jesus got up, and he calmed the storm. Go read it a couple chapters later. Jesus tells him to get in the boat again, but this time he don't get in the boat with him. He sends them out, and he stands and goes on a mountain to pray. And in the middle of the night at the fourth hour, there's a storm, and they're rowing for their lives, and they're about to sink. And Jesus says, I better get out there and check on my boys. He comes striding across the waves in the middle of the night. Peter looks. They said, oh, my God, it's a ghost. And Peter says, no, it's Jesus. And Jesus says, fear not, for it is I. And Peter said, if it's you, Lord, bid me to get out the boat and walk on the water with you. I want you to know something. He believed Peter. Peter believed Jesus could do things. That's why he was willing to do what was foolish. You think it's foolish to throw the net in deep water, get out in the middle of a storm. How foolish is it to get in the water and think you can walk on the waves? We don't think about it. Peter was illogical. Peter didn't make sense. Let me tell you how much Jesus will disrupt your normal life. If Jesus ever comes into your life and begins to show you who he is like he did these men and begin to do miraculous things like give you the catch of a lifetime, you know, I was like, when Peter went home, you'd think he'd have went home. His wife said, well, how'd it go today at work? Well, it didn't start off too good, honey. As a matter of fact, we fished all night. Toil didn't even have a fish. Got skunked, never caught a thing. We was cleaning our nets, we was about to get finished, and Jesus showed up. Then he wanted us to help him. He wanted to use my boat for a pulpit. Preach forever, he's Baptist. And then after he finally got through preaching, I thought I was going to get to finish my net, come take a nap. He said, hey, Peter, go out here where nobody's ever caught any fish, where nobody would even ever try. And throw your water in the deep where your nets are not going to be very effective. Lord, we done tried all. He said, but I went ahead and done what Jesus did. And guess what? We caught the most fish we ever caught in our life. Matter of fact, we out of debt. <laughs> By the time we sold all them fish, look at here. She's like, woohoo, you going back tonight? Nope. Because you know what it says happened after this? He done something that don't make any sense. He said, I got rid of my boat. I left it all because I'm going to follow him. That's what he says. That's the last verse. And he left it all. And I look at that and there's a whole lot of stuff in that story that don't make sense that makes sense when I look at it with my mental capacity according to Marvin. <laughs> but when I let my spirit man, my heart man, when I let him look at it, there's a part of me wants to do what he did and go where he went and follow Jesus also. Guys, listen, this is not a one-time occurrence in the Bible. If you want God to do a miracle in your life, sometimes God's going to ask you to do something so foolish that it won't make any sense. And you'll say, Lord, I can't believe this, like fishing when nobody else is fishing. But listen, it's not only that. There's a lady in the Bible, a widow woman, who lost her husband. She had two sons. I'm going to go through these with you. If you want to turn with me, you can. The first one I want to show you is in 2 Kings, and there's many more. I'm going to show you three examples of exactly what I'm talking about, that they didn't get their miracle by asking God to do something foolish and it didn't make sense. They got their miracle because God told them to do something foolish that didn't make sense, and by faith, they believed him enough to do it. This lady had lost her husband. She was in debt, she was fixing to lose her home, and she was fixing to even lose her boys. They were going to take them as slaves, the Bible says. It's in 2 Kings chapter 4. And the first thing you see about this certain woman, when the Bible says a certain woman, this is not just an analogy, this is a real lady, a person. It says a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets. She was a preacher's wife. She was the pastor's wife. And look at what happened to her. You see, bad things happen to good people. And a lot of times that's when God does his miracles. Look at this. She said, your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord. He was a God-honoring man. He was a preacher, a prophet. And now I'm in trouble. The creditor is coming. Look at verse 1, chapter 4. To take my two sons to be their slaves. 
So Elijah, the man of God, said, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? He didn't tell her, tell me, what do you want me to do? He said, tell me what you got. What do you have? And she says to him, your maidservant has nothing in the house but one jar of oil. Now, what is one jar of oil when you owe so much they fix and take your sons? So listen what he tells her. So Elijah said to her, go borrow vessels, go borrow other jars from everywhere. So what did he say? He said, go to your neighbor, go down to your church folk, go everywhere. You know, Diane, you know, Marvin died, we in trouble. I ain't got just one jar of oil, and I need some more oil. And the man of God told me to come down here and get jars. How many empty jars you got? Give me all your jars, David. Give me all your jars. They all know this woman's lost her mind. They're about to come take her sons. She's in debt. And she's down here asking for empty jars. And I asked her what for. She said, because the man of God told her, just bring them back. Now she gets back. She's got her two boys there who are watching mama. And if you read the story, Elijah said, take that one jar and start filling them up. And she took that one jar and she filled up one, she filled up another, she filled up another, she filled up another, she filled up another. That don't make no sense, does it? See, because the provision of God doesn't make sense. It's not dependent on science. It doesn't have to line up with logic. God can do whatever God says he wants to do, and he can do it whenever he wants to do it. He can do it however he wants to do it. But we don't believe that anymore. We're too sophisticated. We're too educated. Technology. We're so sophisticated. And guys, so she does it. And when they got to the last jar, it quit. And Elijah said, go sell and go pay off your tab. And you and your sons live on the rest. Guys, that's one spot. A couple chapters over, there's a man who wasn't even Jewish, wasn't even a chosen child of God. He was a Syrian. His name was Naaman. You've heard of Naaman. Naaman had leprosy. That's the equivalency. The other lady was on need of welfare. He needed a miracle healing cure. This leprosy was the equivalency of stage four cancer in our day and time. When you hear stage four cancer in our day and time, we know it's serious. We know it's bad. When he heard leprosy, he knew his days were limited. But he was a national hero. He was the greatest general. He'd won wars and won many battles. And he, had, he was recognized throughout the land and especially by the king as his greatest hero. And he heard about this God in Israel that could heal him. So he tells the king, that little Israel girl that we took, tells me that her God, the God of Israel, could heal me. So he gives him what they thought it would take. They thought they could buy this healing. They gave him money. They gave him fancy clothing. They gave him all this stuff to go and pay for the healing from the God of Israel. There's some teachers on pre TV that'll tell you, if you send me money, you'll get healed. God don't need money to heal you. In fact, God don't even want money to heal you. You know what God wants? He wants your heart. A heart that will believe what he says he can do. Naaman's not like that yet. He goes believing and hoping, like a lot of people watching some of them healing preachers, if they could heal everybody, why ain't they at the hospital? Why ain't they down at the cancer ward? Why do they only do it on TV where they can get everybody to see it and send them money? I wonder about that, amen? <laughs> but guys, I want you to think about this. Naaman goes there. He finds out from the king where Elijah lives. Elijah says, send him on down, king. I'll show him that there is a God here. Don't worry. Don't tear your clothes. Don't mourn. He's going to be all right. Naaman shows up with his entourage, all his servants, all his fellow people that's with him in his chariot. And he sends his man to go knock on Elijah's door. And Elijah don't even go. He sends his servant out, tells him, go out there and tell him to go dip himself <laughs> in the old muddy Jordan River seven times and he'll be healed. Man, that wasn't, that ain't what he was expecting to hear. It made Naaman mad. He wanted to see a religious show. He wanted to see that prophet speak over him. 
That's what we think. Jesus is going to do it all. We want to see Jesus do this miracle. Guys, listen to what it says in the text. Just read it with me and listen to me. This is in 2 Kings chapter 5. It says, but Naaman became furious and went away and said, indeed, I said to myself, he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of his Lord and wave his hand over the place and heal my leprosy. He said he was ready to see the TBN show. <laughs> In the name of Jesus. He wanted to see him lay hands. He wanted to see the big exhibition of God's manifested healing. And he got angry. And he said, he looked at it logically. He looked at it like lost people look at it. He said, man, the rivers in Syria are better than this little river in Israel. And you know, having been there and went up in the Golan Heights, which is right next to Syria, almost to Damascus, those rivers up there are like the rivers up in Tennessee. You ever been up there and they crystal clear and they cold, they full of streams and they, they spring fed and they're flowing. They're mountain rivers. It's mountainous there. We got to see it. We got to see the Jordan River too. I tell you what, I didn't even want to get baptized in it. It was pretty muddy. <laughs> it wasn't what I expected. And he said, the, the rivers where we come from are better than this. I could have done this there. But listen what his servant said, his slaves. They look at him and they said, he says, are not the Abna and the Farber, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not have washed in them and been clean? So he turned away and he left in rage. But his servants came near to Naaman and said to him, my father, if the prophet had told you to go do something great, something extraordinary, something spiritual looking, would you not have done it? He certainly would have, because it would have made sense to him. But how much more then when he says to you, go wash and be clean? So Naaman went down, and he dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the saying of the man of God. Now I want you to think about this. They go down there. I bet some of them say, poor old Naaman's desperate. He'll try anything to get healed. And I've met people like that many times. But he went down there in front of his fellow soldiers, all of his slaves who he was master to, and mighty Naaman, the greatest general in Syria, next to the king, there is no greater national hero. And mighty Naaman humbles himself, jumps in that old muddy water. One time he dips down, he comes back up on the bank, he's still got leprosy. He looks at them people, he looks at that water, he looks at that leprosy, does it again. Two times, he gets back up. He gets out of that water. He looks at all them people looking at him. He looks at that leprosy. He looks back at that old muddy water. He gets in it again seven times. It don't make a lot of sense, does it? But if you've got a dying disease, you will do a lot of things. Desperate people trust God to do foolish things. That's why they see miracles more than comfortable. People who don't want to be inconvenienced, who don't want God to do anything that seems inconsiderate. It seems inconsiderate. Why didn't they do that? Why did they humble that man? Why did they embarrass that man? Why did they man, do, go through all of that stuff so he could get healed? To show that this God is not like all the other false religions. He's the one and only God and you do it his way or you don't do it. You listen to his voice or it won't happen. And Naaman got down there that seventh time. And when he come up, the Bible says his skin was as clean as a baby's bottom. That ain't exactly what it says, but it's pretty close. That's my version, amen. I've just been seeing some babies lately in the family. They're pretty clean, amen. His, face, his skin was healed. And guys, that's an unbelievable thing. But the one that's hard to believe, though, is that God made salvation pretty much the same way. See, there's another incident over in the book of Numbers. And this reminds me of this COVID issue, this thing we're going through right now. It says in Numbers chapter 21 that one day, Israel, the people of God, complained, murmured, and upset God. There's ever been complaining and murmuring people. I think Americans rank with the best of them. We never satisfied, it's never good enough. Any little thing that seems inconvenienced, we lose it all. And when you complain, you may be complaining about the preacher, you may be complaining about your job, you may be complaining about 
whoever provided you that service, but ultimately you're complaining about God. He's blessed you with whatever you got. And it says that as the Israelites were journeying from Mount Hor on the way to the, by the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. Now, I don't know about you, but there's a lot of people discouraged today around us because there's a plague. There, there, there's a lot of people that's got something that's got us confused and frustrated. It's called COVID. <laughs> but if you think COVID is bad, think about this. And the people spoke against God and against God's leader, Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt? to die in this wilderness. For there's no food, there's no water. That's not true. He'd been striking rocks. He's been giving them manna every day. And our soul loathes this worthless bread. They said this manna from heaven is worthless bread to us. Our soul hates it. So what did God do? So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. And they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel began to die. Could it be that maybe we've insulted the God of heaven? We got more than any country in the world, and we are the most dissatisfied, ungrateful bunch you'll ever listen to if you listen to us long enough. Maybe God said, well, I'll give them something to get their attention. So the Lord sent these fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people began to die. Therefore, the people came to Moses, the man of God, and they said, we have sinned. For we have spoken against the Lord and against you, his leader. And now, Lord Moses, go pray that the Lord will take away these serpents from us. You know what? If we would ever get to the place we'd get arguing over vaccines and over masks and get to arguing to God and crying out to God, Lord, we've sinned. We've deserved what we get. We ain't been right. We've spoke against you. We haven't lived a God-honoring life to you. And Lord, maybe the reason what's going on and it won't go away and it ain't went away and I'm telling you, they ain't going to go away to God says go away. But most people ain't focused on crying out to God. So they said, get rid of it. Make it go away. And that's all you hear. <laughs> I wish we could go back to normal. I wish we could go back to the way it used to be. I wish this COVID would leave. They wanted them snakes to leave. They were scared of burying their loved ones. They were scared of people getting bit every day. Another one. Did you hear? Sister so-and-so got bit yesterday. So-and-so's son got bit this morning. Another one got bit. Yeah, but did you hear? They buried, what's his name? And they cried out. Moses cried out. But guess what God did? He didn't get rid of the snakes. You know what he said? He said, Moses, go make another snake. <laughs> go make a bronze snake. And I want you to put it on a pole. And I want you to put it outside your tent and put it real high to where the people who get bit can walk by and look at that brine snake. That brine snake is the snake that you see on the medical symbol. You know what I'm talking about? It's where they get that from. It's a symbol of healing, power. And the Bible says that everybody that went down there to Moses' tent and looked at the snake even though they had been bit, even though they had the COVID. In their day, it was a form of that. Got healed. That don't make sense, does it? That's stupid. Why didn't you just make the snakes go away, God? No. I'm going to make you have to trust me. And to prove you trust me, I'm going to make you go do something that everybody else is going to think you're a fool when you say, where are you going? Well, two people in my family got bit. We're going down to Moses to look at this serpent. You know, we're going down to the church house to get right with God. Well, have you been down there to get your vaccination yet? Well, let's quit talking about that. Let's first go get right with God. And then you can go do what you want with that. But they all was going down there to see the snake that had the ability, according to God and Moses, his servant, to heal them. Listen to what it says happened. You see, it didn't make sense. That's why it was a miracle. It says right here, I need God to fix my eyes one day. Therefore the people came to Moses. We've sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that we take away these serpents, that he'll get rid of them. So Moses prayed for the Lord people. And the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent, set it on a pole, and it shall be that everyone who is bitten when he looks at it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent. 
He put it on a pole, and so it was. If a serpent had bitten anyone, when they went and looked at the bride servant, they lived. They were healed. Can you imagine what that must have been like? They said, man, we were all sick. We went down there and looked at the serpent, and now we got it. We, we, we well. Man, that, 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 that is a real thing that really happened. Jesus used this illustration to refer to his cross. You say, where is that at? How many of you know where John 3.16 is? It's the most famous salvation verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever shall believe in him shall not perish. Though we all been bit by the serpent, amen? The serpent bit us all. We all sin sick. We all dying. We all need a cure. You see, the message of the cross is foolishness to the man sitting out here today, perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God for salvation. Amen. And we look to the cross, we cling to the cross, we sing about the cross, we preach about the cross, but more than anything, we hang on to the cross, for the cross is our hope of life. It took death to get rid of life, to bring life. And friends... The verses right above that, this is what Jesus said to a very religious man who had been doing everything he could do to heal himself, named Nicodemus. And he realized Jesus had come from God, and he went by night because he didn't want to upset the rest of his religious buddies. And he snuck in to Jesus to talk to him about eternal life. And Jesus said, except a man be born again, Nicodemus, he cannot go to my kingdom. He cannot have eternal life. So how do you get born again? How do you get healed? How do you get from perishing? This is what he says. Two verses above, John 3, 16, the most important salvation verse, arguably, in the New Testament. He says in verse 14, And so as Moses, when he lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up on the cross. Just like Moses lifted that snake, the Son of Man must be lifted up also. And as Moses lifted the serpent, so should the Son of Man be lifted, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The cross to a lost, carnal, worldly thinker is, don't make sense. If you're honest, it didn't make sense to you at first. It didn't make sense to me. Can y'all hear me? I didn't shook this thing loose this morning. Is that better? The cross doesn't make sense to you when you're going to it. When you're under conviction, what makes sense to you, I'm snake bit. I'm full of sin. The curse of that is on me. I'm dying. I don't want to die with this. I want to get rid of it. I want the virus out of my life. I want the curse gone. I, and the Bible says that the cross, the blood, is the medicine, the cure. I don't know about y'all, when I first looked at the cross, I had just enough faith to hope it was going to do what it said. But you know what? Once I got to it and I looked at it and I said, Lord, I'm putting all my eternity in you. I'm trusting it. Guess what happened? My chain. I'm preaching the cross ever since. I believe in the cross because guess what? I know what the cross did. I can't explain it. It don't make sense any more than all these other miracles. But guys, there's only one way to get saved. It's from a Jewish Man who was born, he was the son of God. He was born of a virgin. How did that happen? That don't make sense. God does a lot of things that don't make sense. He grew up and he lived a perfect sinless life. How did he do that? That don't make sense. Because he was God in the flesh. That surely don't make sense. And God came, the Savior, with the perfect love of God and he loved us and he took care of us and he healed us. He taught us. He showed us God in the flesh. God himself, Emmanuel, he became flesh and we beheld him in his glory. And what did we do to him? We crucified him. That surely don't make sense. We buried him and on the third day he rose again. God does a lot of things that don't make sense. As a matter of fact, this is hard to believe if you want to look at it scientifically, logically. People make fun of the ark since you went to the ark exhibit. Do you believe in the ark more now? 
I used to wonder about the ark. I said, well, it don't matter about the ark. The main thing is you've got to matter about the cross. If you're not going to believe in the ark, I doubt you're going to believe in the cross. You've got to believe what God says. This morning, if God tells you that to get saved, he wants you to publicly receive Jesus Christ. He wants you to, when we stand, to do this. I believe in my heart that Jesus died for me, that he is the Messiah. And I believe that he was buried and that he rose again because the Bible, according to Romans 10, said if you believe that in your heart, you believe that unto righteousness. That's what makes you righteous with God. But it says what you believe in your heart, you confess with your mouth unto salvation. You see, if it's in your heart, it's going to come out of your mouth. And when he says that if you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and that he died and he rose again, you believe that unrighteous. And then if you confess with your mouth, you confess that unto salvation. It says everyone, Romans 10, 13, that calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Friends, that ain't a whisper that nobody hears but you and God. That's a public proclamation that I have accepted Christ for who he is and I'm trusting him to do what only he can do and I am now, he is my savior. He's my Lord. I'm going to follow him. And the Bible says, Jesus said this, not Marvin Cooper, not Baptist Church, that if you deny him before men, he will deny you before his father. But if you confess him before men, he will confess you before his father. That's when we stand in need of the greatest thing that he'll ever give you, salvation. And it comes through the cross by the provision of Christ's death on the cross, the shed blood of the Lamb of God. And today, if he did all that for you, the least he's asking you to do is something foolish, to publicly acknowledge that I'm a believer, that I trust him, and I'm not ashamed of him to say it. How many of you know when you said it, there was a freedom come into you? There was a peace came over you. There was a joy. Friends, I want to tell you something. Whenever you honor God, there's always a blessing. Nothing honors him more than being going around saying, Jesus is my Savior, he's my Lord, and I ain't ashamed to say it. Praise God! There's no other way. I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but through me. There's no other name given under heaven and earth by which men must be saved but the name of Jesus. Friends, that's foolishness to the world. That don't make sense. How could somebody dying on a cross 2,000 years ago determine my eternity? I don't know, but that's the good news of the gospel. I'd rather that determine my determining than what I did for how many years I live here because I done messed it up enough to go to hell more than 10, 15, 20 times over, amen? But Jesus, through one act of righteousness, destroyed all of our acts of unrighteousness. And by that cross, by that great demonstration of love, He'll save you right now while I speak. That's the only hope you got, friend. He ain't one of many. He's the only way. And today, I want to invite you, if you're lost, to get saved, to publicly say, I'm going to get saved. He even asked you to be baptized as a statement of your truly meaning to do that. Baptism, that don't really make sense. How can getting water do anything? It does. It changes you. Anytime you obey God's voice, it does something. So today, some of us are saved, but when's the last time you listened to God? And I know I'm going over again. I'm sorry, I've been getting long-winded. I prayed to be quick this morning. But this is good stuff, you've got to admit it. <laughs> I don't like to quit preaching when it gets like this. But friends, I'm preaching now to the rest of you who ain't saved. Now, there you saved. You just do what God told you to do. You come on up here. I'll sit with you, we'll pray, we'll praise God, and we'll all celebrate. But some of us just are saved, and you need a miracle. You're looking for a miracle catch, and God told you today something you need to do. You know what it may be? It may surprise you. It may be that you're harboring bitterness and unforgiveness in your heart towards somebody, and you're hindering the movement of God. And God's saying, if you'll go forgive that person, if you'll go and, and, and make that right, then I'll be able to work in your life again. Some of you have got something in your life you don't want to let go of. See, Peter would have never, ever got to walk on water if he'd have kept fishing in that boat. Peter got rid of the boat. He let go of the fishing business, and he went with Jesus, and he fished for men. You know what Peter got to do? He got to preach the first gospel sermon on the day of Pentecost, and 3,000 people got saved. I don't know about y'all. When I get up here, I'm going to ask Peter about fishing on the Lake of Sea of Galilee, 
But I'm also asking about fishing for the souls of men on the day of Pentecost when 3,000 people got saved. Amen? Friends, that's an awesome thing. You see, you get to do things for God when you do do things for God. If you're not going to do what God wants now, why is he going to ask you to do something greater later? Today, I'm asking you to do what God's telling you. If he's telling you to get saved, get saved. You ain't got to all understand it. It ain't got to make sense. You just got to know God's telling you to do it. He'll make it make sense. Today, if you're saved and there's things in your life that ain't right, you don't understand, Marvin. I've been trying to overcome this sin. I've been trying to get this habit out of my life. I've done repented. I don't know how many times. Repent one more. Trust Jesus one more. Peter said, I fished all night. I threw that net. I don't know how many times, but I'm going to throw it one more time. And Peter got the catch of a lifetime. The catch of a lifetime is to get saved. If you ain't got that, it don't matter what else you caught. You're a loser (laughs) in the end. Today, you can be saved by the grace of God and be born again and leave this place. The greatest gift of all is right here available. We're going to stand, we're going to sing, and I hope and pray if God has spoke to you that you're going to listen and do what he asked you to do. It's not always asking God to do what don't make sense. As you can see, a lot of times it's God asking us to do what doesn't make sense. And salvation doesn't make sense logically, but it does makes sense spiritually amen let's pray father i thank you for the gift of salvation for the blood of calvary for the cross for the sacrificial death of the lamb of god jesus christ your son and i thank you that it still has power today to take an unbelieving world and someone who's been raised in it who's been conditioned to think like it who is a product of it and save them and make them a new creature and they can leave the world and what used to be can be gone. Old things can pass away. Behold, all things can become new and through the cross they can be in Christ and they can have victory and you can lead us in triumph. Lord, thank you for that today. Thank you for that glorious salvation. And Lord, today there's a person in turmoil. There's a person struggling. They're trying. They're doing all they can do. They're going to church. They're trying to read the Bible but they haven't trusted you yet. Help them today to just fall on their face in the mercy and receive the grace of Jesus in their life and be saved. For the rest of us who are saved, Lord, we struggle with sin. We struggle with our problems. We struggle trying to make our life manageable. But Lord, you're the only one who can do that. Lord, today, help us to trust you. We need a miracle, Jesus. We need you to show up like you did in all these other stories we looked at today. There's a lady who needs you to help with her family. There's a man who needs a healing, needs grace. There's people, Lord, who are struggling, who snake bit with the sin of death. And Lord, we need your cure. Lord, come today, move Jesus and touch lives. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name.